At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow-your-own-food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Cricket Aldridge to talk about her experience with suburban homesteading in the desert. Cricket is a natural homesteader. Growing up in rural Idaho with a garden, a horse, and lots of home cam food, she brings those sensibilities to her suburban home in Phoenix. Add a little dose of cottage garden flavor and permaculture tendencies, and you'll see why her blog, GardenVariety.life, is a reflection of everything she does. Cricket enjoys sharing skills that promote a meaningful and practical connection to our gardens and environment. Because so many residents of the Metro Phoenix area are transplants like her, she finds that the area's unique desert climate is often misunderstood and underestimated in terms of what is possible. That's where the fun begins. Arizona is a burgeoning permaculture haven with homesteading written all over it. And there's nothing Cricket enjoys more than encouraging others to jump in and give it a try. Welcome to the show today, Cricket. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. We've actually known each other for... A long, time. a long time, maybe a decade or so, and I've yeah. watched your work as it's developed, and I'm very excited about what you're doing. So I'm so <laughs> glad you're here today. Thank you. Thanks. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at? Well, the path I took to get here, I guess, I've always loved working in the garden. Mm-hmm. And of course, I grew up in Idaho with horses and a yard, and we did have chickens for a while. But I was in 4-H, loved oh, very gardening, good. and went to college in Missouri, then mm-hmm. lived in Seattle in an apartment and had a community garden pea patch, is what they called it there. Oh, nice. And just tried to learn to grow. And I honestly, I think it's my romantic nature. Romantic meaning I love history. I yeah. love medieval. I love being connected oh. to nature. So everything I do, I try to... I don't know. It just feels so 
connected. Yeah, yeah. So when did you move to Arizona? I moved here in 2006. Oh, okay, good. So you've been here 10 years? Yeah. You've been here 10 years. And what inspired you? Like, why did you decide to start an urban farm? Because you have a nice urban farm here in Phoenix, right? I do. I do. We moved here from Seattle, and immediately I wanted to grow stuff. And my yard was mostly grass. It had Uh a sports court and rock. And it also had some Texas sage. It did have a fig tree and a lemon tree, but that was pretty much it. It, yeah. So I started sticking things in the ground, and everything died. (laughs) And in all my research trying to figure out how to grow things here, Uh I found the Phoenix Permaculture Guild and your wonderful planting calendar, which I live by now. Plantingcalendar.org for those in the desert southwest. Yay, and get it. It is the best. So I basically started going on to the the permaculture forum mm-hmm. it was awesome and i took actually some classes from you came and saw your yard uh-huh. and you know one thing led to another and season by season i've learned how to grow wow cool so how big is your property i think my property is like a third of an acre okay so about this about what we have here at the urban yeah. farm so a third of an acre is about 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep-ish. Okay. You know, might not be that footprint, but that's what I have here at the urban farm. And what do you have on your urban farm? Oh, I have so much. I love my property. <laughs> I have about 40 fruit trees. Nice. I have all the whole, on two two sides of the yard, we built an urbanite raised bed. Mm-hmm. So my neighbor was getting rid of her concrete patio and I used it. So that's filled with trees and vegetables. Oh, nice. I now have a beehive. Really? Really. Oh, nice. And six chickens and three rain barrels and things growing everywhere. Nice. Nice. It kind of sounds like what I did here. I bought this place in 1989 and when I arrived here, there were four citrus trees and 40 other trees on the property and now i have 80 some fruit trees and only one of them that doesn't produce anything it's amazing yeah kind of the path we take you know once we start planting edibles i tell people all this all all the time you know if you're gonna plant something and nurture it you might as well make it edible oh that's exactly what i do actually when one of the things i first started doing was Taking whatever wherever I saw a emitter, water emitter, uh-huh. like with the lantern or whatever, I take the lantern out and stick in an artichoke or stick in something else because oh, I didn't understand neat. the irrigation. I didn't know how to move it and manipulate right. it. So if it was there, I took out something I couldn't eat and put in something I could because yeah. if you're gonna water it, like you said, yep. you may as well eat it. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's a that's an ongoing. I I found that for myself to be an ongoing process. You know, you, I often tell people, don't take on too much. You'll get overwhelmed. So, mm-hmm. you know, what you did, which was brilliant, is every time you saw an emitter, you just replaced what was there with something edible. Yeah. And then you start realizing, oh, I've used up all my emitters. I need to <laughs> add to the irrigation and then I can yeah. add to my garden. Yeah. 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 So do you have anything growing in the front yard? I do have three pomegranates, three figs now. I have artichokes, rosemary, a I have lemongrass, and I have pyracantha, which is also edible. Yep. I have 
marjoram. I have... Wow. What is that? A gu- pineapple guava. Oh, right, right, right. Have you gotten and, guavas yet? No. Very good. <laughs> but theoretically, it's edible. Soon, yeah. I was over at Jake Mace's recently, and we were eating guavas in his backyard. Oh. They're amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, nice. and that's, you know, that's this, this microclimate here in the desert. So. Yeah. It's wonderful. All right. So, I have a question for you. I just walked up the driveway of your house. And I saw all this great stuff growing in the backyard, and we wander out in the backyard. What does your backyard look like? Give me a, a you know a mental picture of what your backyard looks like. Well, it does have a lot of grass still. Probably will start slowly moving that out, mm-hmm. but it also has a very big trampoline. <laughs> oh, nice for the kids. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And it has to the left. I have a chicken coop that we made out of our kids' Costco playset. Oh, nice. Oh, it's it's awesome. And then we've got some beautiful arbors my husband built with passion fruit growing on it. Another arbor that we built with grapes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just kind of a, one of those corner lot where it's... Oh, you have a corner lot? A corner. Yeah. So you have more space. Yes. Like, a, I don't know, it's a weird shape. So I get a sense that you grow a lot of food there. Yes. At your place, yes. So what do you do with it all? Well, mostly I use it and I give it to my neighbors. So you eat it fresh and share it. Yes, and I love, of course, preserving it every uh-huh. way I can. Great. So tell us, how do you preserve it? Well, I, I've recently been freezing my broccoli leaves. I love that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Lots I of have that this time of year. a big dehydrator, so I use that a lot. Ah, uh, yes. And... Recently started making wine with my peaches. Ooh. So I really like doing that. Okay, so hold on. You joined us here today in the studio. I don't see any bottles of peach wine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can get it when you come out. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. We, I had a couple of years ago, I had a, an epic thing happen here. Somebody called and said, do you have any extra apples? We want to make some apple wine. Mm. And I, I actually had extra apples at that particular moment, and they came and got them. And a year later, they brought me six bottles of apple wine. And how was it? Oh. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, what made it even that much more greater was that it was apples that yeah. I grew. That you know, they took a few miles and fermented them and brought it back to me. It's just it's amazing. Epic, yeah, epic moments. Yeah. Have you actually gotten uh, peach wine yet? Well, it's the wine that I have now is from the peaches last year. Uh-huh. And it's still in the glass carboys. It's ready to be uh. bottled. But I haven't ventured into uh putting that in Oh, I also have pomegranate wine. Oh nice. So that I have five gallon carboys full of wine right now. Oh wow. Yeah. And so- two gallons full of mead. You know, I've heard that term before. What is it? Mead is fermented honey wine, basically. Uh-huh. So it's it's honey mixed with water and some yeast and any fruit flavorings that you might want. And you just let it sit, and it is so good. I'll bet you could teach a class on this. I can I see it in I your could. eyes. I bet I could. I would love to. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool, and then I'll bet you can as well. Of course, canning. Yeah, canning. You know, and for, for those people that don't know how to can, and, you know, and it might be this mystery for them... I've actually been canning for 35 years. Yay. Um, and, and well, so here's how that happened. My buddy in high school 
his mom knew how to can. And I had planted a peach tree in 1975. And by 1978, I was getting all these peaches. And I said to Tim one day, I said, I don't know how to can. I'd like to learn. And he said, my mom can teach you. So I learned how to can from Tim's mom. Wow. But what I also learned in that process is how incredibly simple it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. So say I've got a bunch of peaches. Walk us through the process of getting them. Well, really, it's jarred. Right. You know, putting it, put them in jars and sealed. Can you walk us through that? Sure. Step by step? Well, peaches, you need to, you want to peel the peaches. Mm-hmm. Well, you usually dump them in some boiling water for a few seconds and then some ice water. And then the peels usually come right Just off. Just pop right off. Yeah. Right? That's so cool how that happens. The problem, I think desert gold peaches, which are what most of mine are, are uh-huh. cling peaches, which yep. means the pit in the middle does Holds not, on. yeah, it doesn't come yeah. off easily. And that is the most challenging part of canning peaches. Yeah. So if you can, once you get the pit out and you cut them all up, you would put them in the jar. And if you want to use, you can use juice to fill mm-hmm. the rest of the jar or you can use a syrup. You probably can use some water. Yeah, you can use if water. If you want, the flavor would be less. You basically just fill it up to probably a half inch Below the top. Yeah. Yeah. And then wipe off the rims, put the lids on, and put it in a boiling pan of water for... Mm -hmm. They call that water bath. The water bath method, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one way of doing it. I actually have a pressure canner. Yes. I use a pressure canner, but only for uh, low acid foods like Mm -hmm. meat or beans or... Tomatoes? Tomatoes? No. I I mean, you could, but I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, tomatoes have enough acidity usually, uh, but you still should oh, maybe right. add a little bit of lemon juice. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, and I just I have the pressure canner, so I just it's always fast. use it. It's you know, it makes it super easy. Yeah. So you can actually I've actually canned tomatoes, peaches, uh, apricots, and it doesn't take that long. I mean, I can do a whole batch in an hour and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I want to can some. Um, antelope meat. I'm vegetarian myself. I don't eat meat, uh-huh. but my family does. And my mom in Wyoming always has extra antelope meat because the hunters go there just to hunt and then right. they leave the meat at the processor because they don't want it, which is ridiculous. And when you can meat, this it is makes me rolling. It... This is re- me rolling my eyes. Yeah, he is. He's rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's such a waste. But antelope meat, actually, I hear tastes pretty good. And if you can game meat, it makes it super tender. Yeah, I've so. actually eaten it before. Are you shaking your head, James? You've eaten it before as well. Right? Yeah. So why yeah. waste it? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I too am a ve- I'm actually a vegan now. But uh, yeah, when I was eating meat, I actually had some, and it was pretty good. Yeah, well, it's, it yeah, I, I don't like wasting. Yeah. So bees, you mentioned that you have bees. I do. Oh, tell me about that. Well, I actually, last year for my New Year's resolution, I wanted, I wanted to start making mead. And once I started making mead, I realized it takes a lot of honey. Mm-hmm. And oh, right. from there, I said, I think I need to have a beehive, which I do now. And I adore it. In fact, just last night, I started a new Facebook group called Arizona Backyard Beekeepers because it is a learning process and you really do need people who know what they're doing to at least come alongside you and 
you can put a picture up and say, my bees are doing this. What do you think? Yeah. And uh, it's going to be really helpful, I think, for a lot of oh, backyard yeah. beekeepers. Yeah. Uh, so on, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm going to put you on the spot here. On a scale yeah. of 1 to 10, um, where is your uh, skill level on keeping bees? <laughs> my skill level is probably a 2 because I haven't had them. Maybe a 3. Maybe a 3. Yeah, yeah I haven't had them. I've had them almost a year, uh-huh. but my friend who's a beekeeper and got my swarm for me lets me come out and help him. Oh, so I no. go out and I work with his bees yep. and we've done it many times. And in fact, tomorrow we're going to take one of his hives out to a garden to install. And I love, I love, 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 love it. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, it's I wonderful. Can tell. I'll tell you what, this whole notion of finding a mentor, especially in shall we call it the food creation arts yes that's a good name yeah i I just made that up right now (laughs) (laughs) it's brilliant (laughs) yeah Uh, you know in the food creation arts if you can find a mentor to help you with that stuff that is it's my gosh that's exactly what you know my blog that's what i want to do with it Mm -hmm. i want to i i know how hard it is to start something and not have somebody there to show you yeah so i think i love jumping in things jumping into things mm-hmm. and whether I have my knowledge there or not and having someone who's done it before mm-hmm. makes all the difference. Well, that, you know, that's how we, you, you got to jump in. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question here in a little while about failure and you know, what you learned from it. And you know, that's when we learn our best Yeah, is, you know, we go do something and oops. Yeah. I just killed two Acerola cherries. Well, not just. I mean, this yeah. was a couple of years ago. I paid $200 for two nice acerola cherries. And I put them in a part of my yard that, you know, they didn't get the attention mm-hmm. they needed. And, you know, yeah. they died. And, you know, it broke my heart. But it's yeah. like, hello, Greg. Well, that's what so, gardening is. You right. have to learn from experience. Exactly. You learn from experience and mentors. Yeah. So find yourself a good mentor. For Absolutely. Sure. I'm really excited about your Facebook page. That's cool. Yeah, I'm excited too. That's cool. Because, you know, it's, you know, Facebook is great for really f- getting pieces of data. Yeah. You know, hey, you're right. You know, something's going on here. What's going on? Can somebody tell me? Oh, yeah. I just, I just had a picture from this morning with, of my bees. They're on the outside of the hive, which they weren't normally doing except in the summer. And I popped it up on my face, on the Facebook group this morning and mm-hmm. I got all these responses already. Nice. It was wonderful. Nice. Not, you're not doing it alone. Right, exactly, exactly. So if you're in the area, the Phoenix Metropolitan, or the, call it the desert Southwest, Yeah. what's your, what's the uh, It's page? Arizona Backyard Beekeepers. Arizona Backyard Beekeepers, very good. Which yeah. is different from the commercial beekeepers because there's a lot of those in the clubs. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a different story when you're doing backyard beekeeping. You have one or two hives mm-hmm. and you're not moving your hives to the almond groves, to the orange groves. So it's kind of a different story and you've got neighbors around. There's different right. things that you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. My sweetie Heidi is really concerned about having bees in the area just, you know, cause they sting, right? Right. They can. <laughs> Yeah, it can be scary. Yeah. So So you use a lot of salvaged materials in your projects. In fact, you used used a term a little while ago called urbanite. So I want you to explain that. But talk to to me about your projects and cool things that you've done. Yeah, I love recycling things. So 
my urbanite wall, which is just broken up concrete. I I think we've had it for about six years. Mm -hmm. But I was driving to the gym one morning and my neighbor down the street had these piles and piles of broken up concrete from their patio and they were loading it into a dump truck. So I stopped and asked the dump truck driver if they could um, dump it in my driveway. All instead. of it? All of it. Wow. Tons, tons, tons of it. Wow. So they looked at me weird and then they, I gave them my address and they dumped it in. So we- You just saved them hundreds of dollars. Exactly. Yeah. I know that's one of the cool things that about it. So we made a dry stack wall. It's about two feet high and it holds everything. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. It looks like, I think it looks like a stone wall from England or something. Right. Exactly. And the lizards love it. I mean, it's a just, it's a great ecosystem in itself. Mm -hmm. The other things that we have recycled, the scaffolding planks that painters use. Oh, yes. Yeah. You can get those about, they are about 16 feet long. Right. They're beautiful weathered mm -hmm. boards. So I got those um, really cheap and we've made tables out of them. And my wicking beds are made out of them. And I just think they're beautiful and they're very, very strong. And of course, my rain barrels were just food grade barrels that I painted. Right. Our chicken coop is the our old playhouse. Nice. And... Kari Spencer did the same thing with her old playhouse at, uh, at their micro farm project. It's so smart. And especially you can find them on Craigslist. Some people give them away for free if you want to go dismantle it and yep. just take it. Yeah. So again, you're... You're using it. We used it for our kids and then we used it for the chickens. Yeah. So I want to just throw a caveat out here about keeping chickens in the city. Yeah. About six months ago, we lost. So we're, you, know, you you see where we live. Yeah. We live right in the middle of the city, right? Right. Six months ago, we lost 12 hens to a bobcat. What? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Six weeks ago, a buddy of mine in the neighborhood lost five hens to a raccoon. So I, sh I, I, I can't scream about this enough in the world. If you're going to have backyard chickens, they have to have a critter-proof space in your backyard. Yes. Uh, so for us, what that meant is we went down 12 inches and put concrete, and then we put uh, uh, welded wire fencing and hardware cloth over the top. So we actually built about a 700-square-foot aviary here at the Urban Farm wow. to keep them safe. And then they, then we let them roam in the yard during the day. But that's really, really important. Even if you think they're safe. It's true. It would be horrible to go out there in the morning and find yeah, a massacre. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's what we that's what we did. And it's really, really important to make sure that you yeah. keep your animals safe. Yeah, I'm glad you from, said that. From predators. Even if you th you know, you're in the city and you think, you know, you think yeah. you're safe. I would think you were safe yeah. here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned a little while ago something called a wicking bed. Yeah. Ooh, what's that? It is exciting. <laughs> wicking beds are basically self-contained, self-watering containers, mm -hmm. I guess, is more what they are. So it, mine just look like raised beds, mm -hmm. and they have a pond liner on the inside, oh. and then a, about a foot or or so of gravel mm -hmm. and then on the on top of the gravel is a mesh i just used our shade cloth to put a barrier between the rocks and the soil 
and then it's got a pipe running in that is it's got holes drilled in the bottom mm-hmm. and then it, it's elbow like an l and it comes up and then you fill the rest of the bed with soil so you fill up your bed with water so it's almost like a pond underneath right the soil and it's wicking in that the the soil wicks the water up and so do the roots they go down for the water uh, instead of watering from the top and got it. the water savings is i think it uses 52 percent yeah less tremendous water yeah. and it's not losing it to evaporation mm-hmm. it might have been really successful this year Oh, great. Yeah. Great. So I have a question. I've always wondered about this, about wicking beds. When you first plant something in it, whether it's either seeds Mm -hmm. or a plant, a transplant, you have to water those from the top until they're established and the roots go down, right? Yes, you do. Especially seeds. Especially seeds. Yeah. Got it. Wow. Cool. Yeah. It's it's, it's good. This is a concept I think that came out of Australia. Probably. It would make sense. Yeah. And it's also good. I used it because I have a big slab of concrete. This is really the main reason I used it. Mm -hmm. Our sports court that we weren't using. So I needed to grow on it. Ah, yes. I didn't want to break it up that it would just be too much. So we decided to grow on top of it and it was perfect. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Okay, I thought about this. And I think one of the failures I had was in my irrigation. Mm. When we built the raised beds, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a good idea (laughs) to put sprinklers in the back against the wall. So I thought I'll put three foot high sprinklers and they'll just water everything like a natural rain. Right. Well, guess what? The plants I planted grew taller than the sprinklers, for one thing. So mm-hmm. it didn't even water anything, except when it hit the leaves, it just fell right down. Yeah. And also, it, a sprinkler system isn't really the best for watering your vegetable garden. A lot of evaporation, right. the salts in the water. So what I did with that was I left the irrigation pipe there. hmm and wherever the sprinklers were, Vinnie McDaniels actually came and helped me with this. We, I capped off most of the sprinklers except for the very ends. And then I added half inch black tubing and ran that all along the front of the bed. Got it. And then inserted the quarter inch tubing every nine inches. Got it. And so you're so, using a drip irrigation system. Now it's converted drip it. yeah. irrigation, but I didn't have to lay new pipe at least. Right, exactly. Which is, quite honestly, 80% of the work. Right. You know, when you're laying pipe. That's... Yeah. And it's really not expensive. That tubing isn't expensive. Mm-mm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And that's working for you. It's working great for mm-hmm. me. Cool. You should have seen her face lit up. <laughs> yeah. It's working great for it's her. It's working. That's absolutely the case. So what do you consider your biggest success? Well, I think my biggest success is just where I am with my yard. I feel like it's a place that I never want to leave. I can do everything in it. I enjoy it. I mean, it gives me so much joy. It gives my family joy. It's, it feeds us. Mm -hmm. I can teach other people how to live in their yards, in their gardens. Um, I mean, it's just 
if I died today, I'd be so happy knowing that. Yeah. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that again. Your, your face lit up when you started talking about it. You know, and and really that's, for me, it's like I'm complete. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm not leaving. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I've got, I'm here. I'm happy. I love spending time in the yard. Yes. You know, it's like there's this, there's this level of... My garden is euphoria. That's the word for me. It's peaceful. It's euphoric. It's all of it. There you go. A level of euphoria. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to leave. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Nice. So what drives you? Why are you doing this? What drives me? <laughs> Again, it's it's just being in nature. It's being connected to... It's being connected to the past because my grandparents did this. And, oh, yes. You know, I, even making mead, I feel like I'm connected to the Vikings and even the mm. ancient Egyptians made mead. I mean, we ha they had honey and they fermented it. Yeah. And I can do that. And the worms in the ground and, you know, everything just, it works together. And I just think, I think creation is just the most beautiful beautiful thing and just to be a part of it mm -hmm. is unbelievable so it's just that i guess yeah that's sweet and i like sharing it with others yeah exactly yeah i have to tell you so we don't often get people come in to the studio here we usually get people on the phone yeah so i'm actually really having a lot of fun watching you your face <laughs> as you you know, you express you your love for what you're doing because it shows Aww. it so shows so Cool. Sweet. Sweet. I am, I'm going to throw a uh, curveball at you. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And I don't want you to think about the question. I want to know what the first thing that comes up is. Okay. okay. Your first childhood memory, happy memory around food. I loved going down in our cellar and seeing the shelves full of canned food. Oh, yeah. That seems silly, but it was just cool. And I knew that my mom had done all that. Yeah. And it was just, we always had it. It was always there. Right. So I really loved it. Nice. So as you were sharing that, so this question was asked of me maybe six months ago. I was at a party and somebody asked me that. <laughs> and my first childhood memory around food was my grandfather. So I must have been seven or eight. And my, mm. my mom is from Vancouver, Canada. And they had an 80-acre farm outside of Vancouver. Beautiful. And so we were there. And the, what I shared was my memories around going in the beehives with my grandfather. He raised Ooh. bees, right? Yeah, yeah, cool. So when you were just sharing, here's the loop back for this. When you were just sharing about that, the other thing that they had on the property was a root cellar. Yes. And when you shared about that, that memory came flashing back for me of hanging out in the root cellar and how cool oh, i've always wanted to do a root cellar here on the me urban farm too. me too yeah i don't quite I, I haven't been able to figure out where it would go but it's you know i know yeah some secret bomb shelter there's gotta be what properties have these <laughs> right. secret bomb shelters exactly exactly so I'm all about education, and I have to know, is there a book that has been influential for you in this process in your life? Yes, and I love this book, and I love telling everybody. It's called Gaia's Garden. Oh, yes. I know you've read it. 
I read it several times on the airplane. And Toby Hemingway just passed away, right? Did, it was so yeah. sad. So sad. I knew yeah. you were friends. He was a good friend, yes. Yeah. But that book really just, it's, it's easy to read and it's so full of information. And yeah. I just think if I could only have one book, it would be that book. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? One final piece of advice, I would say if you're not already growing something, just stick something in the ground Yeah. and start, start little and then eat it and then stick another thing in the ground. <laughs> That's what I would say. And you'll just get the itch and you won't stop. Yeah. What's it like to go out in your yard and harvest your dinner? It's so fun. I, I, I love, I get my paring knife and I just walk out there and I think, okay, what am I going to get? Oh, there's some herbs here. I'm mm-hmm. going to get this broccoli and it's just so satisfying. Yeah. 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 I've actually written articles on, on that process before. Uh, I wrote an article a few years ago called Urban Farm Soup. Wow. You know, get it, because there often we can go out in the yard yeah. and get an entire soup, an entire salad out of the yard. Between the weeds and the volunteer lettuces and vegetables and nasturtiums out in the yeah, yard, there's like, so you know, a plethora of tastes that you can put in these things that are just amazing. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Cricket. It has been a treat having you in the studio. (laughs) Thank you. It was actually really fun. Yeah. See, and it was easy too, wasn't it? It was easy. I can't believe it's over. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, really fun. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, I do have a blog. It's called Mm gardenvariety.life. And there's contact information there. And I'd love for you to visit my blog. And I share recipes and growing and bees and brewing. Nice. So, And if you're in the Phoenix area, this year we are instigating urban farm tours at other people's farms. And we are going to see Cricket's farm a little later on this year. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, so... So you can find the show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash cricket. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. 
In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.